Have you ever had a dream come true? Something that you dreamt of for a long time? Something you imagined and hoped for, wished for, for years and years and years, and then finally it came true. Maybe it was a, a dream wedding or a dream vacation, a dream job or a dream home. Well, when dreams come true, it is an occasion for joy and celebration. Well, that's what we hear in Psalm 126 this morning. So Psalm 126, I hope you'll take your Bible, turn with me there. But in Psalm 126, we have the joy of a dream come true. We are moving through the Psalms of Ascent. We're moving toward God as we go through the Psalms of Ascent. And we've been working our way through these Psalms in anticipation of this day when we might gather together as God's people in God's house once again. And it is like a dream come true, finally. So it's finally here. But let's take a look. Psalm 126, and I invite you to read along with me. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. As we have been looking at the Psalms of Ascent, uh, we've, we've said before that there is the original historical context. God inspired somebody somewhere to write that psalm. And, and sometimes we can get to that original setting and context. Sometimes we can't. Then we have an intermediate context or application. Somewhere along the way, that psalm was selected and added to a collection of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Added to a liturgy, if you will. So people who are going, coming up to Jerusalem to be with God's people and to worship God in God's house, they would sing these psalms along the way. And so we have that intermediate context or application, if you will. And then we have our contemporary application. How do we live our lives today in light of the truths of, of that psalm today? So that's kind of been the prism that we've been uh, looking through as we've looked at the psalms of ascent. We'll do that again today. And then this psalm, Psalm 126, really kind of divides itself into two parts. We've got verses 1 through 3 and verses 4 through 6. So that's kind of the uh, outline we're going to follow this morning. I hope you've downloaded the listening guide from the from the webpage. But we start, first of all, with praise and worship. So let's take the first three verses, and we see and we hear praise and worship in these three verses. And we start with the returning exiles. This is one of those anonymous psalms, so we don't know who wrote it or exactly when, but the, the setting would seem to be the return of the exiles from Babylon. In the 6th century B.C., God used the Babylonian Empire to judge His people, to punish His people, the people of Judah. Uh, because of their persistent idolatry, their refusal to repent, God ultimately brought the Babylonian army into Judah. And that invading army decimated the land, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and laid waste to the temple of God. And the people who survived the, the massacre of that invasion, most of those survivors were then marched off into exile in Babylon. They were captives in a foreign land by a foreign government. 
And then 70 years later, according to God's promise and by God's hand, God opened the door for some of those folks to actually come back to Judah. Now imagine that, 70 years in captivity, a lifetime for many of them, uh, a whole generation in captivity. And those folks would have dreamed of the day when they could go back home. They dreamt of the day of, of going back to Judah, back to the land of promise, back to Jerusalem. And now that day has finally come. And so for some of these exiles returning and coming back to Judah, this is a dream come true. That's what we hear in this passage. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. And this psalm captures the emotion of that dream come true. And what we hear in these verses is unbridled joy, laughter, gladness, um, just this unrestrained joy and celebration. It's, it's not like, do you do this when you're texting? Um, you know, LOL. You're not laughing out loud. You're just LOL. You know, rolling on the floor laughing. So funny. I'm dying. That's not this. This is full-throated, unrestrained belly laughter. This is shouts of joy. This is like when your team wins the championship. Shouts of joy and celebration, exhilaration. This is laugh-till-you-cry kind of laughter. This is a, a celebration. And it's not just a celebration for celebration's sake. This is celebratory praise and worship. Verse 1, when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion. The Lord brought us back. The Lord has done this. In verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So this is praise. This is worship. Thanking God for what God has done. In fact, the works of God are so obvious and the celebration of God's people is so raucous that even the nations have to admit in verse 3, they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. They are overjoyed with gladness and gratitude. Well, that's that original context. Now, what about worshiping pilgrims? This is one of those psalms of ascent. Somewhere along the way, this psalm was selected, added to that collection, the psalms of ascent. And so now, when, uh, when Jews would come from all over Israel, come up to Jerusalem to be with God's people, to worship in God's house, this would be one of those psalms that they would sing. And, uh, and for them, this would be especially appropriate. Well, one, it's appropriate just the joy of being restored to God's people, the congregation, being in God's house. So there's that celebration. But then also uh, harvest time, the Feast of Tabernacles, this would be especially appropriate at the, at the time to celebrate God's provision via the harvest. God has done great things, and the harvest is in, and we celebrate God's goodness once again. Well, what about us contemporary Christians? Let's bring it home to us. Let's make a contemporary application. God has done great things for us. Verse 3, God has done great things for us. We are glad. Let's just bring it home to our church for a minute. Um, in, in, in church life, here's, here's a dirty little secret. In church life, money follows attendance. Um, it takes money to do ministry. It takes money to have church and do church. And our money comes from the tithes and offerings of God's people. We don't have any, any, any other so-called revenue streams. We don't sell stuff or we don't do fundraisers. We believe the Bible shows us God's people bring God's tithe and their offerings into God's house. And that's how God's house is funded. And money, those tithes and offerings, money tends to follow attendance. Historically, that's been the case. 
Money follows attendance. That's why holiday weekends hurt us. <laughs> and summertime is rough. Summertime is real hard for us financially, typically. Uh, we spend a lot of money in the summer. We have vacation Bible school and youth camps and mission trips. And then we're also spending money gearing up for the new church year in the fall. And so we spend a lot of money in the summer. But when you're gone on vacation, typically tithes and offerings tend to go with you. And so money follows attendance. Well, back in March, when this pandemic quarantine shutdown happened, uh, our attendance went to zero. And our staff and our finance team, we, we braced for the worst. If money follows attendance and attendance is zero, where are we going to be and what's going to happen? Well, let me tell you, God has done great things for us. And uh, over these last few months, God has shown up. God has done amazing things. God has been amazing and you've been amazing. God has been faithful and you've been faithful. Attendance went to zero, and yet we actually met budget in April and March. Isn't that amazing? God has done amazing things among us. We actually met budget in March and April, and giving so far this year, giving this year is ahead of giving last year. And that's after 13 weeks of not having, <laughs> not being together, of zero attendance. God has done great things among us. As far as the COVID-19 virus itself, to my knowledge, we've only had one person in our congregation diagnosed with COVID-19. She made a full recovery. It was a mild, I mean, she just bounced right back like it was nothing. So God has done great things among us. We have a lot to, to celebrate and praise God for and thank God for. Now, let's move into the second part of this psalm. So we have that praise and worship. Now I want you to hear the prayer and work. In verse 4, there's a change. We go from praise and worship to prayer. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So now we hear prayer and work. Let's start with that original context, those returning exiles. Those folks who came back to Judah from Babylonian captivity... They didn't just re-enter their old life and pick up where they left off. They came home to nothing. They, they had nothing. The, the, the land had been decimated. Uh, the city of Jerusalem was in ruins. There was no temple. Uh, much of the agricultural farmland had lain fallow for decades. And in a sense, they are starting over. So while there is joy and celebration uh, at a dream come true, we're finally back home. They also face a very harsh reality. This is going to be a long, hard rebuild. It is going to be a long, slow process. It would take decades to rebuild. So here's a prayer. They're praising God for those first steps of restoration. And now they are asking God for a complete restoration. They're, they're praying that God would bring that full healing, that full restoration. And we have two metaphors. One, we have the metaphor of rain. Restore our captivity of the Lord as, as streams in the south, as streams in the Negev. The, the southern part of Judah is an arid wilderness area. There are dry riverbeds called wadis in, in that region. And during the rainy season or during the snow-melting season, uh, those dry riverbeds can actually become flowing streams that give life and renewal and revival to the land. And that's the image here. Oh God, restore like streams in the desert. Bring that revival and that renewal, that restoration. 
And then we have the metaphor of sowing and reaping. You cannot reap without sowing. And you sow in hopes of reaping. You sow with an anticipation of a harvest. And when the harvest comes, it's like a dream come true. And you reap with joy. So this rebuilding, this restoration, it's actually going to come in phases. And it's going to be a long, slow rebuild. It's going to be a process. It's going to take a long time, and it's going to take a lot of hard work. They will sow in tears. One that, that may speak of just, just the work of it. They are, they're having to pick up the pieces. There's, there's nothing left. They're having to break up fallow ground. They will sow in tears. It will be back-breaking, heartbreaking work. They will sow in tears. That also is the idea of repentance as well. They will sow in repentance or weep in repentance. You know, how did we get to this point? What, what have we done to, to get here? And so there is this idea of repentance. And you know, there's a cycle in the Bible. You, you repent with weeping and tears. There are the tears of repentance that bring restoration, being restored by God, restored to God, and that brings rejoicing. There's actually a play on words in the Hebrew that doesn't come out in the English translation, but in verse 4, the word restore is actually the word shuv. It's a Hebrew word. It shows up a lot in the Old Testament, over a thousand times. More often than not, it's about repentance. It is a turning, turn away from sin, turning to God, turning back, return. It's all about turning. But here the idea is, is a spiritual restoration. Lord, restore, restore our captivity. Bring us back. Bring that healing. So that's the original context, those returning exiles. Now, what about those worshiping pilgrims? Those pilgrims who are coming up to Jerusalem from all over Israel and beyond, coming up to praise God, to be with God's people, worshiping God in God's house. Well, again, there's this prayer of restoration, and especially this in this agricultural setting, you can't reap without sowing and reaping you also reap with a view towards sowing so you sow in order to reap a harvest one day and then even as you are reaping the harvest you are anticipating next year sowing this is something we don't really appreciate in our modern era of agriculture today uh, when it's time to plant you gardeners or farmers you just go out to your seed distributor and you buy high quality seed for this year's planting it's pretty simple but in that day in that era part of your harvest you would actually have to save to sow next time around. You can't eat everything you harvest. You're actually going to have to save some of that harvest. Even as you're harvesting it, you save some of that harvest, and this is next year's planting. And so every harvest is, there's, there's this harbinger. There, you have to think ahead to the next year's sowing, and then you sow again in view of a harvest. And you sow as an investment in the future. You sow to invest in the harvest. You, you might even call it a gamble. We could eat this now or we could plant it, invest it, <laughs> risk it in hopes of a harvest to come. And then when the harvest comes, it's like a dream come true. And it is a time of rejoicing and celebration and laughter and gladness. God has once again provided. So there is this sowing and reaping, again, this, this gladness about God's, God's provision. And then, too, you also have this another application for the Psalms of Ascent, God's people were always being oppressed by somebody somewhere. I mean, that was pretty well their history. And so as God has restored them from captivity in that original setting, God brought them home from Babylonian exile. 
And now, whoever is oppressing God's people today, they can pray for that same kind of restoration today. God, restore. Free us, deliver us, and restore us today. Now, let's bring it home to us. What is a contemporary application for you and for me? We pray for God's blessings, and we prepare for work. All right, so there's the application to us today. We pray for God's blessings, and we prepare for work. There's an old saying, um, we ought to pray like everything depends on God, and we ought to work like everything depends on us. <laughs> so, so we pray for God's blessing, we pray that God would bless the work of our hands, and then we get to work in the name of the Lord and for the Lord and to the glory of the Lord. God calls us to work. We are, we are saved to serve, and we work in His kingdom, and we work for His glory. Paul applied this metaphor of sowing and reaping to the work of ministry and church work, if you will, the work of the gospel in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So in the church, we sow, we, we, we plant, we work, we invest in the hope and the expectation of a harvest, namely the harvest of new believers and mature disciples. On your outline, here's what I want you to see. We've been reminded over these last 13 weeks during this pandemic and shutdown and all that, we have been reminded of our need for congregational worship. I hope that has been brought home to you as much as it has, has been brought home to me over these last few months. We need the church. We need each other. We need congregational worship. It's not optional. I heard an amazing story just a couple of weeks ago about believers in a very hostile, very dangerous part of the world who would come, they are compelled to get together to worship. Now, this place is so dangerous and so hostile to the Christian faith that to be identified as a Christian is pretty well a death sentence. And yet these believers would risk their very lives to gather together for the sake of worship. Here's what they would have to do. They, they identify a believer's home. We're going to meet at so-and-so's house. But they all can't just show up on Sunday morning at, at 945 <laughs> for worship. They'll get them all killed. So instead, what they would have to do is trickle in very subtly, very quietly, very surreptitiously. Over the course of hours, they would kind of trickle in one at a time and gather into the interior of, of this believer's home. And when they're all there, they would gather in an interior room of the home and they would worship in absolute silence. They dare not sing a song because somebody might overhear them and that'll be it. Nobody preaches a sermon. Nobody teaches a Bible lesson. Again, somebody might overhear. They don't even pray out loud. They might be overheard, and that would be it. Instead, they worship in spirit and in truth. They gather together in, in, in the spirit of koinonia, this fellowship, and they worship together in absolute silence, still at the risk of their lives, compelled to worship. Why? Because we need each other. We need corporate worship. And again, I hope that, that these 13 weeks has brought that home to you. You don't get that camaraderie, that koinonia. We don't, we don't get that by watching worship on television. You get that by being with God's people 
and worshiping God together. We have been reminded over these weeks we need congregational worship. We're also reminded we need congregational work. We need this corporate work. We don't just gather together to worship God and praise God. We also gather together to work together, to work in the name of God and to further the kingdom of God. Namely, we come together to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Watching worship on television does not make disciples. Sunday school makes disciples. Awana makes disciples. Our student ministry is about making disciples. And so over these last 13 weeks, our worship has been interrupted. Our work has been interrupted. Well, we're finally getting back together for worship. I mean, today's our first day together. So we're finally getting back together again for worship. It's not too early and it's not soon to start praying for and preparing for getting back to work as well. So praying for and preparing to get back to the work of making disciples. And recent events has impressed upon us the urgency. We've got to be making disciples who hold a biblical worldview. We are in the midst of a cultural revolution, and it's as much generational as it is anything else. And um, we are losing this next generation. We need to be making disciples who hold a biblical worldview, who see the world and interpret life in terms of God's Word, through the lens of God's Word. Well, we need to start praying and start preparing. God-given restoration is a dream come true. And the greatest God-given restoration is to be saved, to be born again. Have you been saved? Do you have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? If not, that's your greatest need. And I invite you to call out to Jesus Christ even today. To, to, turn, to get on your knees before God and call out to Him and say, Oh God, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on the cross for me. Jesus, come into my heart and save me and forgive me and change me. And I give you my heart and my life. I want to follow you and obey you. Call out to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's the greatest, I mean, that's a dream come true. That's the greatest gift, the greatest dream, the greatest thing that will ever happen in your life is to be restored by God and restored to God through the gift of eternal life, through the new birth. Be saved today. If you, if you are saved, but you're not right with God, I want to tell you, getting right with God is a dream come true. And uh, you're not right with God and you know it and you're miserable because you know you're not right with God. And uh, today's the day to get right, to be restored to God, be restored by God. It's a dream come true. Well, God's people, we have a lot to laugh about. We have a lot to celebrate. We, we have a reason to rejoice. God has done great things among us. And especially that God-given restoration, to be restored by God and to God is a dream come true. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for being the God who redeems and restores and renews. God, we thank you for that. We worship you because of it. And Lord, I pray for the one who's never been saved. Help them to, to see Jesus Christ, to know that they are guilty before a holy God. Help them to hear your gospel and to see your Son. And may today they... they they bow before Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and receive by faith your gift of eternal life. God, I pray for the Christian who's not right with you. They know they're not right with you and they're miserable because they know.
And I pray that they would stop delaying one more day and finally bow before you and enjoy this dream come true of being restored by God, being restored to God. Lord, we thank you for bringing us back together. We celebrate your faithfulness to us over these weeks. Thank you for providing what we needed when we needed it. Lord, you've been so good to us. Thank you for bringing us back together. And now, God, we pray for that day when we get back to work as well. And uh, we just pray that you'd make our paths straight with that view in mind. Thank you for this time together in your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.